And I say again, for Scott Morrison, who opposed this Royal Commission, not once, not twice, but several times, I think this will, in the end, be his undoing because people are seriously angry. I love seeing the girls playing the national game. It's just so refreshing. Tasmania should have been given their own football team, women's team, because that would have righted a wrong that happened when they weren't given their own team in the National League, the AFL. Mum, you just don't understand. It's really hard to reason with someone who doesn't talk. So that's parenthood. <laughs> that's parenthood. I'm a, quite a good fisherman, and apparently now the term is fisher. Oh, ridiculous. There's not even a fisherwoman, certainly not a fisherman. Oh, you're a good fisher. fisher. This is the best salsa verde I have ever had in my life. Listen here, Caro. I'm listening, Corrie. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corrie Perkin. Hello and welcome back to Don't Shoot the Messenger. This is episode 71. The year is ramping up. The summer holiday is now sadly just a happy memory. The kids are back at school and the ants of Melbourne are on the move, which according to my darling mum means it's going to rain in the next couple of days. Award-winning journalist and fellow messenger Caroline Wilson, do you have ants in your kitchen cupboards? Like no, I do? the ants haven't sight, but don't worry, they'll, they'll find a way. We did have um, a few spiders down at the beach whenever the weather threatened to change. I just, I'm getting, it's a bit nerve-wracking, isn't it? We need it to rain. We desperately need it to rain. Caro, I have a couple of apologies. I think you do too. My first one is, uh, refers to, uh, you and I were both mere culpers on this one. A couple of weeks ago, we referred to Uluru as Ayers Rock. Apologies to all communities, and in particular the Pichinjara people, for that brain snap of ours. On the 19th of July, 1873, Surveyor William Goss cited the landmark and named it Ayers Rock in honour of the then Chief Secretary of South Australia, Sir Henry Ayers. Caro, I bet you didn't know that. Well, I think, yeah, I, I did know that, and I know it's Uluru, but I still sometimes referred to it as Ayers Rock well, because it, it's our are, age, isn't it? It's well, our but, generation. But also, officially, you are allowed to. It's the It now has a dual name. Uh, it, it's it's considered okay, dual names, uh, officially Uluru slash Ayers Rock uh, as of 2002. But yes, you and I are a bit behind the times. Well, our friend Julie pointed that out to us and that was good of her. And of several friends who I brought this up with over recent days were really surprised that we did it. I think either it was you who did it and I didn't pick you up or vice versa. It doesn't matter. We both did it. But um, when you go there now, um, apology number two, I've never been to Uluru. I think never. we mentioned that. Yep. We were, um, going, we were going to take a road trip to I'm the... apologising again, but um, it, it still says Ayers Rock in brackets. It's, I mean, at the airport it says Uluru brackets Ayers Rock. Yep. So we look forward to, today, to the day when there's no brackets. Yes, we do look forward to the day, no brackets, and we look forward to the day when we go up to Alice Springs Pub and do a Don't Shoot the Messenger up there. Wouldn't that be fun? Nice little road trip. Yeah, Do you have any apologies? Well, Anna from the op shop is horrified at our story about that my cousin Mouse told me about, the guy who used to give all his shirts to the op shop and then come back and buy them for 20 cents the <laughs> following week or 50 cents. Anna said, Cheaper than Bancroft's or something. Anna says we're a pair of idiots, a complete pair of absolute <laughs> We, we both fluffheads. for it. As if anybody, as if we if we would go broke in a day if we dry cleaned every piece of clothing that came to the op shop. And anyway, added Anna, I hate dry cleaning. Don't you hate the smell afterwards? I'm, I don't actually agree with that. I do occasionally resort to the dry cleaners, but 
Anyway. So, so all the all the messengers out there who have rushed to their local op shop thinking that the shirts have been dry cleaned. <laughs> They're not. Um, and I have to mention Mandy from Hardy Grant, you know, lovely Mandy who joined us a few weeks ago. Uh, she sent me a text. Top of the day, Corey, when you are flying while water skiing and you misjudge and land on the water, it is like concrete, hence injury. Skied for 20 years and one broken collarbone. Didn't take Mandy for a skier, but there you go. And wow. um Oh, she probably doesn't take me for a water ski either. But do you remember you said the other day, yep. breaking bones on water? I said, oh, don't be so ridiculous. Well, I mean, I agree with, I agreed at the time that was ridiculous. I mean, it's so easy to do your shoulder holding on to the thing while the boat's going fast. Um, Come we, on, Corrie. We have a, we have a message from, um, Mary. Thanks to you, Corrie. I've become addicted to the Fortunately podcast and also the High Low, but I can't access them anymore. How are you listening to them now? I need to fill in time between yours. Thanks, Mary. Mary, uh, what has happened is BBC, the BBC as the National Broadcaster of Britain, has actually gained control of these two very popular British podcasts. And instead of them now being available through iTunes and your usual way of accessing a podcast, you have to go through BBC Sounds. Now, this in itself is a nightmare at the moment for Australian audiences. We can't download it. What I have been doing is I have just literally been Googling, fortunately with Fee and Jane, BBC, and it comes up and then you just press the go button. But it is incredibly frustrating. And I know that Fee and Jane are not very happy about this move either, just quietly. They're hoping that they can get back to iTunes. So that Fee would be Fee and Jane got over the defection of their producer, extraordinaire. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's going to happen to us. I, I haven't told Jane that story. <laughs> I have not done this. So Fee and Jane, Fee, Fee and Jane, comma, Jane, our Miss Jane, they have they had a producer who uh, has been with them forever. And um, at the end of last year, they were very, they were told as they were coming back from Cardiff on the train after the Christmas party at the Cardiff pub by the producer that she was no longer with them. She'd received a promotion and she was moving off to proper BBC shows because of their success. She got fortunately, very, very ahead of herself, Jane. Because of the success with Fortunately with V and Jane, she got the promotion. So... Our Miss Jane, watch out. Um, we feel there could be a, a similar story evolving. You've become such a star, Jane. But nev- now, Carol, you have a photograph. <laughs> we'll always support you. You have a photograph in front of you there of a lady with a fur jacket on. Um, yes. Oh, well, and <laughs> no, hang on. Well, you. she sent it to us and it's absolutely beautiful and I cannot believe she's absolutely beautiful as well. She's one of our potties and she sent us a message about this. Well, um and it's funny because Marie Kondo is going to um, come up in the good local tip. But um, thanks to her decluttering show, which has now gone nuts on Netflix, we'll play Scrabble next year, Corrie, and Marie Kondo will be a verb. <laughs> it will. To Kondo. To Marie Kondo. Anna from the op Kondo, shop believes Kondo, it. Kondo, Kondo, Kondo. Do you know what she did? She went to a garage sale in November. Who's she, our potty? Her name is Fleur Shaw Jones. She has basically picked up the bargain of the century. She went to a garage sale in November. She's brought a Moncler knee-length fur-trimmed down jacket for $50. She actually looked it up. If you went to the shop, it would be $2,500. What an op shop find. And she sent a photograph of herself in the little fur jacket. Fleur looks – I wish I could look that good in a little fur um, 
what are they called when it's around your hood in a little fur hood? <laughs> it's, it's, it's the it's most very, beautiful um, puffer jacket. It's very Julie Christie out of um, Do- Dr. Shivago. And it's raccoon fur from Finland. Um, actually, we don't know. <laughs> We'd be happy about that. Anyway, that's the bargain of the century. More on decluttering later in the show. Um, I'm grumpy. Corrie's got a recipe. Corrie's and I have both watched the cry on the ABC that we want to talk about. We want to talk about those mean, nasty, lying, cheating banks and the political ramifications. But first of all, Corrie, oh, you're actually hosting, but I'm, ta- I'm yeah, well, taking... You're completely taking over. I'm you completely... Really, go away. I'm, not, I'm, in, I'm in charge well, of this. No, I this just is wanted to do another little mention to Francesca, my daughter of the nearly two-year-old toddler, who's having a bit of a hard time with Harriet. And um, yesterday morning, Checker on the phone said, Mum, you just don't understand. It's really hard to reason with someone who doesn't talk. So that's parenthood. <laughs> Checker, that's parenthood. So, and this is the girl who, when she was about two or three, who, who was so naughty and had a fit in the supermarket, I I spat at her. I said, I hope one day you have a naughty little girl who's You've just as naughty as you are. You've clearly been by that supermarket incident. You've brought it up on the podcast before. I know, it was a bad, bad parenting moment. Okay, so on to our goal of the month. So, messengers, if you've missed uh, Caro and my, I suppose it was a challenge to one another, but a challenge really to ourselves. We set ourselves a goal of the month and we're going to do this during the year. And originally, Caro talked about she wanted to lose more weight, but we have been, uh, we received a really lovely note from one of our gang during the week, which suggested that we should not focus so much on weight. And I absolutely agree with that. I think so long as we're healthy and happy, really, who cares about the, the weight stuff? So we re. We, I don't you, think it hurts to want to lose a few kilos you, after you a then, very indulgent summer. You then reconfigured, and you said that you in February you were not going to spend any money on any item of clothing, and yes. I was going to, as part of my one thousand miles for the year, which is one thousand six hundred kilometres for the year, I had to walk thirty point seven kilometres this week. So so far, uh, I did two kilometres this morning. Just quickly took the dog around the corner. So I, uh, what have I done? What am I up to? So I'm halfway there, and we're halfway through the week. So on track at the moment. I was eight point eight kilometres yesterday. Just saying, and you and I had a massive walk on the weekend. Yeah, we did have a big walk. We that did about ten. No, we, no, that was about eight k. Oh well, I was sort of by the end of the day. I think I was ten. Maybe that was it. That no, I think that's a very good one. And I did. So how did you go with spending money? Well. It's Uh-oh. only the first. We're only into the first week of February, and I just saw a little number. No, crying no, out to me. No, I my my confession. My confession is that I was in Sydney last week, as you know, and on January thirty one, I might have had a little look around the shops. <laughs> well, it wasn't February. <laughs> that is just shocking. I was my last like day in Sydney. Fa- that's like FibFast. How many friends get absolutely sozzled on I, the 31st I saw, of January? I know. Well, I, no, I saw an, I, I did see a beautiful outfit I'd been eyeing off before Christmas, but it hadn't been reduced enough. So I didn't buy it, but I did buy one very nice top that was reduced to a figure that was below $100. Oh. And I was very happy. And so, no, Corrie, I'm not looking, just not looking at shops, not looking at shoes. I would like to replace my runners, but I'm going to wait until March. So there you go. <laughs> Even though they've got holes in it and sand, they've got holes in sand. Well, in. you can't come walking with me then. So, no. Caro, the big news last week in the book industry, the local book industry, was that five members of the Melbourne University Publishing Board and CEO Louise Adler had resigned due to a directive from the University Council 
that MUP should abandon its focus on commercial and popular books and and focus instead on academic publishing. Now, many uh, podsters out there will be going, oh, okay, so what does this really uh, mean for us? It means a lot. This decision will have huge ramifications across the Australian publishing industry. First of all, it robs us of a viable publishing house. So the last three years, it's posted a profit. A publishing house that's dedicated itself to telling Australian stories. And I must say that Australian-focused publishers are a bit thin on the ground these days. And the other thing uh, that it raises concerns about is although it's the university's right to dictate how one of its business arms or entities should be run, it is a kind of an editorial interference and a short-sighted decision because of some of the books they've done, like the George Pell book and so on. And it does raise serious Which didn't really see the light of day. Well, it was it was out for about a month. And if you recall, we had an event with uh, the author Louise in our shop. And then we had to all pull our stock, of course. But it did she win ruffled, a Walkley Award. Yeah, she ruffled feathers, Louise, didn't she? The Latham Diaries was one that people weren't particularly happy about. But it sold like hotcakes. Well, it, but I think we should also look beyond the political with with Melbourne University Publishing. And this is where I, I do want um, our gang out there to sort of think about this. It wasn't just, it's not just Latham Diaries or, or, story, or the recent book about Malcolm Turnbull or uh, anything that the politicians have written. It's books like First Australians. It's books like Art in Australia by Sasha Grishin, which would be one of the finest art books in the world, let alone the country. It's books like Jenny Hocking's biography of Whitlam. Yes, that is a political book, you could argue, but such a brilliant Brilliant book, Beersheba by Paul Daly, looking at an important part of our world war, our war history. Modern Love by Leslie Harding and Kendra Morgan, which looks at the whole Heidi, Sundan, John Reid, uh, you know, whole kind of thing that Heidi became. Yeah, that, that has spawned a whole publishing industry, that, well, <laughs> that Heidi gang. And then Leslie, so and, Ken- yeah, and, Leslie and Kendra, who were recently on the book pod, they talked about their new book, Merca and George Mora, which was also fascinating. These are national stories that should be told, and who's going to tell them if MUP doesn't? Can you, can you explain to me why it's happened? I, well, there's, there's a lot of thinking about why it's happened, but... The best analogy I can use is, do you remember when I was at the National Gallery and Steve Vizard was then President of Trustees and said, I want you to edit Gallery Magazine, I want you to take it out to the people, I want you to make art accessible. So we started working with the curators, we started working on more popular kind of stories. And we tripled the circulation, we took it into news agencies around Victoria, we increased its size because we increased its advertising. It started to make money, which had never been heard of before. There were a number of curators and academics connected with the gallery who were so aggrieved that we were taking it down market and populist, as they called it. And when I was talking with one of my MUP um, gang the other day, they pointed out that this is exactly probably what's happened with Louise Adler, that there's, there's been this tension between the academic arm of MUP or, or the, the university itself, and there's been this need to, which was introduced by the former Vice-Chancellor, Glyn Davis and so on, we want you to make MUP books more accessible to the public. So there's been a tension, and and I think Louise and her editorial gang have tried hard to resolve that tension. But the other part of this is also that the new chance, newish Chancellor of Melbourne University, Alan Myers QC, was also a representative of George Pell during his um, the investigation into uh, sexual abuse in institutions. What's the connection the there? Well, I'm not saying, but I think they may be friends or they've certainly been colleagues 
And I think that probably... And MUP published the George Pell... Well the, the word, well, the word is that Alan Myers was furious about that book coming out. Jeez, that, and it won a Walkley Award. I have to keep pointing this out to people. It was an important document of record. You, do you think it sort of was another maybe nail in the coffin to this feeling of disgruntlement about some of the popular choices? I think so, absolutely. And I think there's been a bit of lobbying. And there Can was it a, change? Can the government step in or will, would, the, would a Labor government step in? Well, Cara, on the weekend, Bill Shorten did say, and also Chris Bowen, have, have flown the idea around that, they, that if they are elected in the federal election, they will put some money toward an independent publishing house. That's not such a bad idea. And interestingly, Christopher Pine, uh, the Liberal minister, tweeted on the weekend that he was sorry that this had happened to MUP and that perhaps there was a good argument for having an independent publishing house that, that acquired government funding. I think that's really fraught. I think it's completely fraught. I mean, I'd, look what the ABC's going through at the moment. I I'd, doubt we're going to see it start again with publishing. And look, there's a really good opportunity for some some local publisher to pick up a whole lot of the of the authors and the ideas and, dare I say, the wonderful staff at MUTP and bring them on board and do some really fabulous things. You've got a bit of time on your hands. <laughs> <laughs> just start a publishing house. But, Carol, we... I think of all our, our journo mates who have left, for whatever reason, the world of newspapers, who are now finding their feet and are being incredibly challenged and doing so well writing non-fiction books. MUP have picked up a lot of uh, former age colleagues. So many of them are working, have been working for MUP. It's fantastic. Yes. And uh, Look, and there are a lot of other great publishing houses too, and, and it's, it's a tough industry at the moment, but to me, that came as a complete shock to me. Now, Corrie, can I just talk about these beautiful gum, this beautiful eucalyptus that has come in today, courtesy of Miss Jane? They I think are it's stunning, Jane. I think it's a, a symbol of survival, isn't it, Jane? And it's absolutely beautiful. I, I don't know about you. There've been some pretty gruelling and gripping recollections, both published and on television, about Black Saturday and the ten. I can't believe it's ten years, by the way. Seventh of February, two thousand and nine. Yep. Um, and we're both reading The Arsonist at the moment because obviously we're doing it for our book club in a week or two. And we looked at that incredible Australian story, which was quite horrifying late last year, chilling. Um, you covered the fires. I just woke up on Sunday morning to the to the horrible news. And, and thank you, Jane. And thank you to, for reminding us of those in fire-threatened areas. I did mention Hepburn Springs and Gippsland. But um, it still stays with you, doesn't it, Corrie? Yeah. Every single second of that. Well, not the two-week period, but certainly that first day being sent up to Bendigo, which people forget that Bendigo, um, the, the blaze came within two kilometres of this, the heart of Bendigo, the, the actual town hall within two kilometres. It, ra- it raced down this area called Long Gully and Eagle Hawk and um, 61 houses were destroyed. And so that morning I woke up to be sent up there with a photographer the devastation, well, you know, anyway, the week unfolded. It was just a, it was just an extraordinary week. And I have to say it was a real catalyst for me listening to um, different reports and wonderful documentaries that have been out this week marking the 10th anniversary. And so many of the survivors have said, you know, there was life before and there was life after. In a funny sort of way, I acknowledge that because it was only a month or two after covering this story that I thought, I can't do this job anymore. I can't, I can't interview people and say, I'm so sorry for your lost loss. Could you tell me about your parents who died in the fire? And I just thought, I can't do this after 30 years. And I opened a bookshop. Yeah. It was... So there you go. So it had an effect on me as well. Wow. Um, so, Caro, on to other things like the Banking Royal Commission. Oh, my God. Well, could, could the government please just say sorry? 
Yeah, it's um. Well, the fascinating thing for me, well, the fascinating thing for me is that there, there is a bad guy, and I think um, was it Ken Henry and Andrew Thorburn, um, the bosses of NAB, seem to have come out of this so much worse than anyone else. I mean, some of the stuff they did and the charging fees to dead people. I know that there are there's a litany of crimes across all the four major banks, and AMP and AMP. But you know, honestly. NAB, what a sh- and and the refusal, the refusal to do anything about it, and the lying, and this sort of attitude of we're banks and you are Australian citizens, and how can we make a buck out of you by cheating you and ripping you off? It, it's just horrifying. And um, are we going to have a listen to? Um, let's have a listen to a little bit of what Josh Fraden- Frydenberg said after the announcement. This misconduct must end. And you must put the interest of consumers first. Consumers must be treated honestly and fairly. My message to the Australian community today is that your government is committed to making this happen. In responding to this report and taking action on all 76 recommendations, we are putting in place the legislative framework which provides the regulators with the powers and the resources to hold those who abuse our trust to account. My name is Josh Frydenberg. Jesus, Josh, I am a politician who barracks for Carlton about to award a lot of money to the Carlton Football Club, by the way, to um, build a new facility there. That, don't, that, don't, don't give up your day job, Josh. Don't think that you've got the charisma to become Prime Minister, just saying. Well, speaking of, where and, and, was and, the and, Prime Minister, Corey? I mean, and, and really. why can't they all say, like the other night, last night on the news as well, you know, it, it, does the government take any responsibility for not initiating this in the first place for being anti How many times did Scott Commission? Morrison oppose it? And, I think in the but end they can't, that will be they still undoing. can't say sorry, Caro. No. They still can't say, look, we're, you know, we got it wrong. If they said that, we would all move on. I, I, I do think it's, it's an election issue, Caro. There's a, oh, well, well, there's a little bit in one of the reasons Kelly O'Dwyer maybe walked away. I don't know. I know she said personal reasons, but after her, you know, really embarrassing performance on the ABC late last year, Scott Morrison, to me, who completely went missing yesterday and, refu- and is hoping that by separating himself from these horrific findings and... I'm also interested in why they're going to back every single recommendation bar the mortgage-broking situation. <laughs> is that because they're worried about the economy or is that because... Oh, I think that's an election pitch or something. I'm not sure what that is. They well, still want people to get easy to easily access mortgages, I guess, to kickstart the housing sector, which is a bit flat at the moment. Look, Honestly, looking at it, it is a reasonable balance between the need to shine light on inappropriate behaviour and defend customers' rights and their legitimate grievances. And to balance that with the need to continue a stable and vigorous financial sector, if if they had absolutely, if Kenneth, Kenneth Hayne had absolutely crushed the banks and all lending organisations and ASIC as well, this would have been a debacle, especially as our economy seems to be teetering, as everybody's told me over summer, or oh, it's going to be a bleak year. As a retailer and a small business person, I'm kind of thinking, well, that's good that it's being endorsed, but it's not so heavy handed that banks are going to be stymied. But there are, there are um, tr- great traditions and um, 
idioms and sayings in our vernacular that will go now, take it to the bank, being one of them. No, <laughs> let's not take it to the bank. And and I don't think anyone... Oh, trust your bank manager. As my mother always used to say, bank managers are the most trustworthy men. Oh, and that was her. You, you would... 1960s take on it. They oh, were all men, well, but... Well, maybe Peg was probably a bit more accurate than we are now, but I don't think that... Um, we won't be going to the banks anymore for financial advice, and you do worry about the new financial advisors, or, or uh, of whom there are already hundreds and thousands in existence. Whether you would, whether you would trust anyone, I mean, it, I, I think it's a, it's there's been a horrible divide created by this, even though it's fantastic that this has all come out and that the government is supporting most, pretty much every one of the recommendations. And I say again, for Scott Morrison, who opposed this Royal Commission, not once, not twice, but several times, I think this will, in the end, be his undoing, because people are seriously angry. They are. It is such a great election issue. And just listening to Chris Bowen this morning, he is is being a kind of a calm treasurer, and he does want to sit down with Josh Frydenberg and talk about it in a bipartisan way. And I thought, yes, just just keep your powder dry, (laughs) <laughs> Just let the government implode, <laughs> see what happens. Um, Caro, on to footy issues. It is February, but we know the big game is starting next month and I have been um, catching a little bit on the telly some women's footy, which is lovely to see the girls out there again. Uh, that oh, is... that's very nice and condescending of you, Caro. No, it's not. I mean, well, I don't mean the girls in a patronising way. but I love to see love... the girls out there again. Well, you know, there was a chart, there was a moment there, Caro. In my defence, there was a moment there last year when we wondered whether we we're going to be seeing them at all again on television. It's just, no, it, you're right. I, you're I, right. I, I love seeing the girls playing the national game. It's just so, uh, it's it's just so refreshing. And a friend of yours and mine, Linda and Paul's daughter, Kate, uh, um, Cat has uh, joined. I think Collingwood much too. I think it's Collingwood. I can't remember much to Paul's shock, but um, being an Essendon supporter. But I just, I, 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 increasingly, I'm hearing of young women who are joining the code and playing, and it's fantastic to see. But the other issue, of course, which is your big baby, is Tasmania's football well, dilemma, ongoing football well, story. Corrie, Where do we stand? It, it's a very good segue because the two are connected. Um, what um, I'm grumpy about something else today, but if I wasn't, I'd be grumpy about the fact that Tasmania should have been given their own football team, women's team, because that would have righted a wrong that happened when they weren't given their own team in the National League, you know, some time ago, the men's, the AFL. Um, It's a hybrid team they've got with North Melbourne. It's the reason North Melbourne's bid got over the line, because they said we're going to be the Tasmanian or the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos. Well, they played their first game in Tasmania, in Hobart, over the weekend. It was part of the women's footy launch. Um, I think four or 5,000 people turned up. The crowd was fine. Clearly, the sta- North Melbourne is going to be a very good team. Um, they're a new team and they've, they've, they've recruited, they've gone. They're like, it's like what Ron Joseph back did back in the 1970s when he brought in, you know, Doug Wade and all those guys, Barry Davis. And, and Caro, did Tasmania have the, have the capacity to mount its own team on its own without yes, North Melbourne influence? Yes, and I think they, they, but they, they needed AFL support. And I have not heard one person refer to that team as the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos or anything to do with Tasmania this week in any of the commentary. So I think it's an opportunity lost for Tasmania again. And, I, I mean, it's it's good that they've had a game there. There's going to be another game, I think, played in Launceston. I think, obviously, it's a short season because, um, because of TV dictations and the fact that the AFL weren't prepared to back it beyond the start of the men's season. But I, I think that's a real opportunity lost and so disappointing. I mean, the fir- when they first thought about creating the AFLW, 
the North, there was a deal done because GWS was given a team. They wanted a team in Sydney. The Swans wouldn't do it. The AFL were really cross. GWS had to be the team. They didn't have access to players, money, etc. They've done a pretty good job. And their team has been competitive from the outset. But the deal was that they would get access to all the Tasmanian players. Uh-huh. So the team that got the licence that maybe Tasmania should have got were then going to take all their women players. That was an agreement that um, Will Hodgman, the Premier, almost agreed to. Thank God, you know, some of us exposed it. And in the end, it didn't happen. But um, I'm disappointed about that. And um, watch this space with Tasmania football, with the executives in charge, who's running it and what's going to happen over the next few months. But And one more thing on the AFLW, I just think it's a real pity that yet again it's been overshadowed by the big trumpeting announcement of AFLX and the four big new captains. It's only a it's literally a gimmick, AFLX, and it's a way the AFL is hoping to take the game overseas, to take it interstate, where in, particularly in New South Wales, where there's a lack of grounds, smaller grounds, less players, less time, etc. But you know, you've got it's, it's Patrick Dangerfield and oh, forget it, and just Eddie Betts it. and um, oh Jack Revot. Anyway, there's four captains. They're all they're all they're doing it. Captains. They're, they're picking teams like in the schoolyard and having a game. But it's getting so much publicity. It is, and even and you know, and the women the, are just being. And even at the women's launch last week, you know, Gillam McLaughlin was pulled aside by media and asked about the this new competition. He wasn't asked about the women's. It's yeah. I think it's a that blue. to me said it all. So Carol, we ha- you and I have a bit of a mission this year. It'll be a don't shoot the messenger cause. Bring the footy to Tasmania. Let's have, let's let's lobby for an AFL team from Tassie. Well, it's going to be a long and hard. This this podcast could be going for many years, Corrie. <laughs> we're, we're very influential here. <laughs> now. I've got – well, no, it's your t- – you know, you're going to have a crush this week. You I had do. a good crush last week and he delivered for you over the weekend. Yeah, good old Ken. <laughs> Not Henry, but Hayne. That's Who's right. your crush this week, my crush, My crush this week, we're just stepping back into the literary sector, Caro. The winner of the 2019 Victorian Prize for Literature wrote most of his award-winning book using WhatsApp and he wrote it from Manus really? Island. And his name is Beruz Bukhani. And his work of nonfiction is called No Friend But the Mountains, Writing from Manus Prison. And over the course of five years while living on Manus Island, and he is still there, Kurdish-Iranian writer Beruz Bukhani wrote this award-winning book. And last week at the Victorian Premier's Literary Awards ceremony, he received $25,000 or twenty-five dollars $25,000 for his non-fiction prize. And then all the categories are then judged, Caro, fiction and so on. And then they choose the Victorian Prize for Literature, which is worth 100000 And that was awarded to Baruz Bukhani. So this book has been out for about six months. We, are, we have been strong supporters of this book in my bookshop, and I know the indies around the country have been strong supporters of selling? this book. It's, it's selling now. It was a hard sell before Christmas. There is a reticence. Perhaps it's my demographic area. I don't know of the bookshop, but there has been a reticence to go into that whole Manus Island first-person experience. But this award, that's why we love awards, Caro. They introduce sometimes complicated and confronting topics to a wider audience. So he is my absolute rock star and um, we hope that he is soon taken off Manus Island and we hope that one day soon he can come to Melbourne and officially in person receive his cheque. That's a wonderful, it's a wonderful crush, Corrie. And we should mention our dear friend Michael Gordon, who died a year ago, a year ago, and did so much fabulous work. 
I with know. asylum seekers. A year ago this week. And, and went the, to Menace Island. Oh, and Carol, you know, just talking about Mike, our, you're not on Facebook, I am, and I'm still connected to a lot of the alumni from the age and so on. Just the outpouring of not just sadness and grief that it's been a year and we haven't had Mike in our lives, but I'm just reminded of what an extraordinary mentor he was to so many journalists. Lots of love to Mike's family. We remember him every day. Now, Caro, on to books, screen and food. And well, you have a book this week. Well, I do. And mum lent me this. It's been re- reprinted. It first came out in 1983. It was reprinted in 2006. And I reckon now that we've got um, your friend Donald Trump still in the White House, I think it might get another crack. But it's called a very... I love that, my friend. Please. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you do like talking about him, and you should because he's, he's an absolute disgrace. But anyway, that's another story. A very British coup as opposed to a very English scandal. Or, oh, or a very British yeah. something or other. The, How many books have got this sort of a title? Well, well this, is, this is a book that sort of foretold Secret State, First Among Equals, House of Cards, and it's a story of Harry Perkins, the Labor leader, um, union leader who – climbs to the top of the ranks in the Labor Party and becomes Prime Minister. Now, you might remember they made a, a brilliant BBC miniseries out of it in the oh, sort of mid-80s. It starred Ray McNally and Tim McKinney, you know. I, who's, don't, I don't remember that. Oh, it, it, Tim McKinney's been it. in everything. Sort of he, I would have He's loved. been in new tricks. He's been in... But Ray McNally played um, Harry Perkins. Anyway, it... It's, it was republished in the mid-2000s because they reckon it foretold the um, rise to power of Jeremy Corbyn. But it is a story of a Labor Prime Minister coming to power who is going to take Britain out of the common market, you know, funny that, um, going to um, get rid of knighthoods, going to um, demolish, r- remove themselves from NATO and... It's about what happens when he is elected. It's about what happens at Annabelle's nightclub, the BBC, which is, you know, very, very politically studded within the... Any, um, any romps with prostitutes? By organisations. Referring to last week with the gentleman yeah. in, the, well, in the orange bra? Well, this is a problem. He's not married, Harry Perkins. He's always lived with his mother. He's had a couple of discreet relationships. They can't get anything on him. And the, 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 it opens in the... Um, in the sort of upper echelons of a, a very exclusive men's club and the horror that he's been elected. And you can't put it down. It's by Chris Mullen. It's Is it still a, available? A very British coup. Well, I don't know, okay, Corrie. So, all right, That's so... your job, not mine. <laughs> but, you know, you like to sometimes oh, do an oldie bit of still on goodie. holiday. Wait till footy starts. No, I then know. I'll come back to haunt you. Uh, okay, I'm going to do some investigation. Well, it was reprinted. And... This this edition was reprinted in 2017. Oh, so, I should be able to get it. So, um, and he's written, um, the author has said, he basically said, the guy who wrote it, Chris Mullen, is a former polit- British politician, and he reckons that there were two or three of them in the Labor Party who wanted to write this book, but he got there first. And it came up at an idea from on a train on the way home from one of the um, conferences in Brighton or somewhere like All that. All right. Well, Caro, as a favour to you and your fan club who love every recommendation that you ever give. They seem to love yours more than mine, but I'm oh, not offended Corrie, no. by that. Not no, at all. Corrie. No, no, no. It's it's true. I, I accept that. I accept <laughs> that. You're, maybe it's because you're bossier than me and they're too scared. But I will investigate this. And Potties, if you want to find out whether I have – I have this is not an ad for the bookshop. I'm working on the public's, public's behalf, but I'm going to try and get this book into the <laughs> shop. And if you're interested in purchasing a coffee, copy, just contact us via the don't shoot pod Instagram account or Facebook or something. And Miss Jane, 
and or myself will let you know when it's in the store. It's we'll not posted down out to you. I read it so quickly. I mean, it's just one of those books. Okay. So, Caro, you and I are both doing screen this week because we were both riveted on Sunday night by the ABC's new 8.30pm drama four-part series, The Cry. We were. Starring Jenna Coleman, who is... Still Queen, beautiful. Queen well, she's Queen Victoria. And she was. And she's still way too beautiful for Queen Victoria. But anyway, she plays Queen Victoria in that other very uh, wonderful ABC drama or BBC drama. Jenna Coleman is a, plays a – she's a young mum. Her name is Joanna Lindsay. And she has, uh, she has a four-month-old son, Noah, who just doesn't stop crying. Joanna clearly has postnatal depression. She's married to Alistair, who has a media advisor's job. He is, he is Australian, but he has a media advisor job with a senior British politician. In Edinburgh. You and Leslie. Yes. So he's very, you and he's quite a good actor, you and Leslie, actually. He's gone up in my estimation in this. But he is. I, uh, I, I hate his character, though, don't you? Oh, I hate his character. So self absorbed. But he is too busy to help his young wife through this uh, trying time for all couples when you come home with a brand new baby. Alistair decides that he wants to travel to from Scotland to Australia to fight his ex-wife, Alexandra, who's played by Asha Keddy, for custody of their teenage daughter, Chloe. And Asha Keddy plays an increasingly menacing role here. We're not sure what Alexandra is up to, but what's happened is that Alexandra and Chloe were living with uh, Alistair in Scotland when they, they she says the marriage is over and one day he gets home from work and wife and daughter have gone and with fled good back reason. to Australia. I mean, everyone who's watched the first episode... Don't will give have it seen- away. Well, they must have watched it by now. Oh, no, 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 they, no, they okay. can get, they can, and they can get it on iView. Right. So don't give anything away. You have a tendency to do that, Caroline. Well, Wilson. it was on TV on Sunday night. A lot of people haven't watched it. This is the recommendation. They have to okay, and go you back can and download watch the whole lot on iView. Can't you? Can, you? Exactly you can watch, right. How many have you watched? Oh no, no, I'm a, I'm a, as it happens, live person. I don't want to suddenly binge and know everything before everyone else. Oh, Brendan else. and I had to watch the second one. Oh, stop away. it. All right, well, no spoiler alert. That, that's the main street of Queenscliff, isn't it, where the pivotal yeah, scene happens outside definitely. that supermarket? Yeah, it's definitely. And it's Torquay is the beach, I think. It's an interesting way that this is structured, don't you think? Because it's going so back many and forward in time. So many flashbacks. You have to piece it together. You, you, have, you have to be on your on the edge of your seat to try and work it out. I, I think Asha Keddie's fantastic as the sort of mother with a drinking problem who's come back to Australia. I, I agree about you and Leslie. Remember, he's just – isn't in film that new Clint Eastwood film, The Mule, that's out at the moment, that was maybe made a while ago but it's just been released. I can't stand Clint Eastwood. I won't be going oh, to Oh, well, anyway. And he was also in um, that wonderful um, Safe Harbour, which was on yes. – um, uh, SBS, and he was in Top of the Lake too. He's been in a lot of things, and he's a really good actor. But in this, oh, well, he's a good actor playing a terrible um, character. It's just a but. But I, I, you suspect all of them. None of the characters are particularly likable. Would you agree? I would absolutely agree with that. Even the daughter Chloe is a bit of a pain in the neck. They're they're all slightly, they're all slightly flawed, which I think makes it's what what gives it the edge. Yes, I want, and you know, and then Alistair's mother, who's just come into the anyway. I think it's a. I, I, I love an ABC BBC co-production. Yeah, we're very I have happy. to admit because I love it that it's in Scotland and Melbourne, and you're sitting there going, "Where is that? Where is?" Because it's actually not really in Melbourne; it's set on the coast, and there's clearly going to be a bushfire element to this as well. 
Yeah, but as I said to Pete the other night, as we, like it's going back, forward, back, forward, and it's all very confusing, you wouldn't want to be sitting down on a Sunday night with a couple of glasses of wine under your belt because you'd be really <laughs> befuddled about where you are. Now, I have a recipe which I cooked last night. So, Caro, you know how Jamie Oliver has had this wonderful series with the nonnas on Channel 10 yes. over summer. Yes. So I taped them all. So, of course, I've come back home to the city after my summer holiday and uh, I've been binging. And the other night I watched one episode where he uh, cooked a Florentina steak with, um, of course, Gennaro, his sidekick in tow, who doesn't say a lot these days. I think Gennaro is still recovering from the death of his good friend Antonio Coluccio. But anyway, they cooked this Florentina or Fiorentina steak. And... I've uh, just for dietary purposes, I haven't, uh, I, I haven't done it exactly the way the nonna suggested. Dietary which... purposes, Corrie. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> well, I just it was just health purposes. Well, health purposes. But it, it what I did was I, I, I picked up two ribeye, and what you are supposed to do is trim the fat and then cook the fat in a pan with the potatoes, which looks absolutely delicious on the Yum. television series. I didn't do this last night. I just had a couple of um, kiflers in the, in, the, um, in the oven and just tried to keep it very moderate. <laughs> but what, I, what is the, the, the absolute winner of this recipe is the salsa verde. And this is the recipe that I want to give you. I'm not going to go into how to cook the T-bone steak and all of that because that's boring and hopefully we all know how to do it. But this is the best salsa verde I have ever had in my life. Listen here, Caro. I'm listening, Corrie. And also, can no, I just I, say, can I, I say what, it, what, in, what inspired me was I did the big pick finally uh, of the basil and the mint that I've been growing over summer and, and watering with love. It was time to use it. So I came home from the beach with all of this uh, in, my, in my car and I put it straight into the whizzer. One bunch of fresh mint, one bunch of fresh flat leaf parsley, one bunch of fresh basil, two tablespoons of capers, two gherkins, the big ones, not the little baby ones. Oh, yeah. Two anchovy fillets, two tablespoons of red wine vinegar, two teaspoons of Dijon mustard, and extra virgin olive oil. Pick the mint, parsley, and basil leaves and put them into the food, food processor. Pulse and then add the rest of the salsa verde ingredients with eight tablespoons of oil. So put everything that I just mentioned in at the one time. Blitz to your desired consistency, then taste and season to perfection. And how Jamie has arranged this is he said he likes to carve and season his steak at the table with the crispy spuds and then have the salsa verde alongside. Mm, well, what I did yeah. actually last night was I made a bed of salsa verde. So it is the most beautiful green. It's like a deep grass green. And I had, the, impressive steak, for a school and night, I had the steak sitting on the top and then the potatoes I just had dotted around. So it was very pretty. I should have actually taken a photo. I hate Instagramming pictures of food. But anyway, it looked pretty good. So that's my recipe. And a great one for summer is everybody starting to pick the last of their herbs. And um, very, very good for you too, I might add. So we'll have that in our show notes. And it comes from, I should mention the plug of the book. It comes, this recipe is in Jamie Cooks Italy from the heart of the Italian kitchen. This book is an absolute winner. You know how I've got a bit of a thing about Italian cookbooks. This is one of the best I've seen in the shop for about the last year. Every recipe you want to cook, and it's a lot of it is based on the Nonna's show. So this is, it, is the new. This is the latest Jamie Oliver oh, came out it, in October. Show me the spine. Just wondering where it can go. Oh, it can go in your yellow section. 
Beautiful. Alongside simple. <laughs> it's exactly the same yellow. I've already test driven that. I have them next to each other in the shop. They where's look rather that, pretty. Where's that beautiful one that you made the beautiful chicken cacciatore out of? The, oh, that's Nina's the southern Capri. Italy one. Yes, and I and I, and I did buy a few because it was the title. It was about three years ago. So I I rang up Scott at the shop and I said, I think you better get a couple of extra copies in. Well, they've sold. So to the messengers out there who are accessing my bookshop because of our recommendations, I do thank you on behalf of the family. We will name the next renovation after you but um but it is a it, it still remains my just my favorite favorite summer italian cookbook but this jamie cooks italy is a winner of a book and i know jamie sometimes can be a bit up and down now caro you're grumpy well grumpy by way of campaign my campaign continues about people who go on the radio who are interviewed and don't call their interviewers by name i'm going to start naming and shaming them and this is going to be another uh, crusade of mine during 2019. So it would be like you coming onto my radio show and you don't once say, Corey, is that what you mean? Yeah. Hi, how are you? Oh, okay. I, uh, uh, you listen when people do it. If I, and well, these, only, you don't do it on the ABC. That's these the people, first thing you learn in these training people at the ABC. have media advisors. What are they thinking? My latest, um, the latest perpetuator. I of love this, this crime, we're name and shaming them. Do you think they'll be flogged well, publicly for this? you've probably never heard of this man, but his name is Michael Dixon. He played. He had a brief career with the Sydney Swans before deciding to move into the NFL. He's now a gridiron footballer in America, successful NFL player. His team missed out on making it to Super Bowl, missed out in the playoffs, got very, very close. He was interviewed yesterday on radio by Kevin Bartlett. And I just happened to be flicking around as I was driving around yesterday afternoon. I wanted to hear a bit about the Super Bowl because I'd missed the whole thing. We know Tom Brady's now the greatest American sportsman ever. I sort of probably, I think Muhammad Ali probably gets in ahead of him. But um, anyway, Michael Dixon went on and introduced, big introduction to have a bit of a chat about the Super Bowl, you know, blah, blah, blah. Hi, guys. How are you? And also he had that, you know, that Australian accent when you've been living in America for two oh, years. You know stand. that? Yeah, it's a weird, lot of, isn't it? A lot, of golfers, a lot of Australian golfers have it. Adam Scott has it. I mean, not, not their fault. I just don't like it. Anyway, he managed to – it was a pretty boring interview. He didn't give them much. And he never called Kevin Bartlett one of the great legends of Australian sport by name. Now, why is it so hard when you get on to do an interview on radio – to say to the producer, who am I speaking to? And I bet you the producer would have said to Michael Dixon, this, you know, no-name NFL footballer who's obviously making a name for himself in America, he's, you're talking to Kevin. <laughs> no. Kevin Bartlett. No, I, I, it, it yes, rankles I, I with agree. me so much. And, and I think you're absolutely right. I think often it, it, the, the fault would lie with the media advisor or the producer but it is the onus is on the person who's being interviewed, don't you think? The onus is on the adult in the room who's Absolutely. being interviewed to find the, out. Oh, who am I talking to, by the way? Uh, there's a, I mean, Scott Pendlebury from Collingwood. Sorry, Scott, you're a great player. You've been an unbelievable captain. But he's one who I listened to him on radio. For years, he never called anyone by name. I don't think it's too hard to know who you're talking to in Melbourne if you're an AFL footballer and you're being interviewed on a station that focuses on AFL like 3AW or SEN or the ABC. Not good enough. So Sli- anyway, slightly on off topic. Uh, I follow Richard E. Grant, the actor, on Instagram, mm. and he. Uh, I, I made some comment about something or the other, and the answer. He actually answered me. He said, "Thank you, Corey." And I thought that's really nice. He looked up my name, and he's responded, "Richard E. Grant." 
How many people are there yes. in his life? But he's the sort of person who, if he was interviewed on radio, he, he would, would call, call you them Caroline. Exactly. Yes. Otto Lingi the other day was caught, was interviewed by Ross and John a few weeks ago. He called them by their name. I mean, he's a massive international celebrity, but it, it just makes it, it rankles with everyone listening. Can I just say on Otto Lingi, there is a really wonderful episode, episode 100 of our dear friends, Lee Sale and Annabelle Crabb, chat. 10 looks 3 they have for their 100th anniversary their first ever in studio guest and it's Yotto Motolenghi it's well, a really great episode it's a really great episode and i urge everybody to have a listen now, Corrie, it's time for six quick questions, and I'm only saying that even though you're hosting because I'm going to ask you the first question. I want to ask you how you're faring in this world of old, you know, avoiding old sayings that are now deemed politically incorrect. Oh, yes. Well, not terribly well, as I'm reminded from listeners regularly because I say the wrong thing like Ayers Rock. But the other day I was in a family WhatsApp situation with the kids and for some reason we ended up talking about my son Will's teddy bear whose name is Morris who now lives in Sydney with Will and I don't know how we got onto the subject of Will of, of Morris coming back to Melbourne for a visit over the uh, – this is bizarre, isn't it? Anyway, I said that Morris had to man up and there was a bit of fur flying after that because it was oh, deemed inappropriate. But it's I also, tell people to man up all the time. I also had a young listener say to me a few weeks ago, I forgot to tell you this, that I'm often using the word girls, so girls, if I talk to you and Jane or often on air I'll say girls. And it was brought to my attention that I shouldn't say that. That was slightly patronising. If I had to say anything, say ladies. And sometimes I say you guys and I shouldn't be saying guys. So I don't know what to say anymore, but um, I do I do remember using not so long ago the term cowboys and Indians, and that was just deemed really inappropriate. And then the pot calling the kettle black, I wondered where we stood on that. No, that's not that's not a racist term. I know, but it's it's talking it, it, about the the pot is always black in colour. I know, but I just don't know where to go anymore. I think you're being a bit. I think you're being. Do you do you have any? Well, it's just that I went fishing the other day and caught quite a few fish and had a nice oh, congratulations. time. congratulations. Thank you very much. It was Where's, a beautiful where, day. Where, where are the flatties for Jane and I? Well, they've all been eaten by me. I had them for dinner. I had them for lunch. I gave oh. some to mum. Oh, no, oh. Have you heard of the ad- freezer, Caro? Admittedly. No, well, I wanted to freeze them, but we ate them all. And admittedly, Brendan caught heaps more than me. But I said, made a joke like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm quite a good fisherman. And apparently now the term is fisher. Oh, ridiculous! He's not even a fisherwoman, certainly not a fisherman. So it's you're a good fisher. fisher. That's a new word in the English language. It's a good one for Scrabble. <laughs> Jeremy Fisher. I just thought it was um, a bit of a strange one. I mean, I don't. There are certain terms that I don't think you need to worry about. Caro, my question to you: On the weekend, uh, we lost a wonderful Australian actor in Carmen Duncan, um, and she died sadly no, after actor. a long yeah, actor. Uh, yeah, note that I did put that in. That's right. Well done. Um, and she died sadly of cancer on the weekend. What is your favourite Carmen Duncan role? Wasn't she beautiful? She was so beautiful and so equine tall, long neck. Oh, and a no, great well, actor. Well, I'm, I'm, can I separate it into TV and film? My favourite TV show with Carmen Duncan, only because it resonates with me so much growing up with certain women. Oh, the, yes. She was so wonderful. With June Salter and it was a um, great show. set in Balmain, wasn't I'd it? Love to, I'd love to see it again oh, and see I if it's dated. I loved that show. 
And my favourite film, and this was a very gritty Australian film that also starred Rowena Wallace, and it was called You Can't See Round Corners. And it was quite scandalous when it came out at the time, set in inner western suburbs, I think Sydney, a wonderful film. I think it was filmed in the late, yeah, 1969. Really, really loved You Can't See Round Corners. She, of course, had some success in America. She replaced a famous American actress in Another World, which ran, her role ran for seven years. She had reprised another um, soapy role in As the World Turns in 2004. And um, my dear friend Susie Dobson, who lived in America for some time, um, says that she was just a wonderful mentor to all young Australians who came and lived in LA and um, obviously moved back to Sydney at some point and, as you say, died of cancer over the weekend. Vale, Carmen Duncan. Now, Corrie, what's your favourite Instagram account at the moment? At the moment, Caro, I'm completely obsessed by... No, no, not mine. (laughs) (laughs) Go on. (laughs) <laughs> I'm completely obsessed by the Caroline Wilson. I'm completely obsessed by Trini Woodall, and that is the name of uh, that is the name of the account. Oh, it's called Trini T R I N N Y W O D A L. You will remember Trini, Trini, uh, Trini and, and Susanna, Susanna. and they oh, they did, they did over your wardrobe for many years. Very successful television series. Trini now, uh, if, apart from dating um, the Saatchi chap who used to be married to Nigella Lawson. Trini has uh, kick-started her career through Instagram. Uh, she had, she posts twice a day with fashion and makeup tips. She has her own makeup company now called Trini London, which you can also follow. Uh, but Trini Woodall, the Instagram account, she will show you each day what to put this and that with, usually using her own wardrobe. Um, she has a sidekick, Chloe, who uh, occasionally comes on. And, and we, as we know, Trini is, you know, very tall, probably a size 10. I think she was a former model. Chloe, Chloe slightly Yeah, Chloe's uh, um, Spanish, I think, or Italian. I can't work it out, but she's absolutely voluptuous and beautiful. And they often wear the same outfits in different sizes, which gives women of all shapes and sizes an opportunity to think, gosh, that could go with that and everything. Chloe always looks so fantastic. Trini does too. But it's really inspiring and it's really interesting to just get, you know, this goes with that. So I'm loving that at the moment. It seemed to be my favourite She's the one who told us to do apples when we put blusher on our cheeks. Smile like that and make your cheeks look like apples. And <laughs> Jane's doing it. You're You've both got doing good it. apples, Jane. You're both doing it. And you put the blusher on the apples. I remember like once idiots. sitting in Channel 9 makeup and doing that smile when Christina, the wonderful makeup woman, some years ago, girl, woman, was putting it. She said, what are you doing with your cheeks? I said, aren't you meant to do apples? She said, please, just stop it. <laughs> You look like you've eaten a sour one. Um, now, Caro, last week, as we know, you went off to Sydney for your Andrew Ollie dinner. And, of course, Anthony Green. Whose table won the prize to have dinner with me. <laughs> Anthony Green was one of your dinner dates. I wondered how you got on with Anthony Green, whether you told him that I thought he looked like a certain No, I didn't. He, Harry I don't Potter think character. would have appreciated that. And what, did you learn anything about the forthcoming federal election? Does Anthony have any inside info? Well, he thinks that Bill Shorten's looking good. Um, oh, God. I know, that's a big Shock revelation. Horror, Anthony. No, well, well, because I've got a relative who's working um, working in the um, electorate of Wentworth, I actually asked about Wentworth, and he thinks that David Sharma can win Wentworth. That was about the only oh, thing. Oh, really? That we, we did more, more just a lots of chat about the ABC and chats about football. Anthony's an avid 
swan supporter. And we talked a lot about the swans and we talked a lot, as I said, about the ABC, about who might be replacing John Fain. That came up. Oh, and did he say you, Caroline Well, Wilson? no, not from Anthony. Probably Anthony wants to others replace at the, John Others Fain. at the dinner liked your tip about Virginia Trioli. Oh, okay. Yes, they think that that might be um, what's happened. Now, what's the latest on our old friend Prince Philip? <laughs> old, Has he old, actually apologised yet for that car crash last old, week? Old being the operative word. Ago. Look, I know that you, you're on the edge of your seat with this story, Caro. <laughs> um, this, week's, uh, this week's turn of events, the woman who was injured in the car accident when Prince Philip's SUV hit her last month uh, in Sandringham. She is now set to undergo surgery. She needs to have a titanium plate inserted into her wrist because it did not heal naturally. And Miss Fairweather, that's her name, said, this has completely knocked me. It feels the last three weeks of pain and recovery have been pointless as I now have to start all over again. It's like Groundhog Day. Fairweather, Miss Fairweather also said that she wants Prince Philip 97, quote, to know the full effect this is having on my life. I've never had surgery before, and I'll have this titanium plate for life. So me suspects that there might be a little court case about to happen. Um, but the Prince Philip did actually send an apology. As we know, I reported last week that one of the Queen's lady and what ladies in waiting sent a note. Well, Prince Philip has now sent a letter of apology. And um, he said it was a bright sunny day and at about three in the afternoon the sun was low over the wash. In other words, the sun was shining low over the main road. In normal conditions I would have no difficulty in seeing traffic coming from the Dershingham direction. But I can only imagine that I failed to see the car coming and I'm very contrite about the consequences. I have since learned that you suffered a broken arm. I am deeply sorry about this injury. I wish you a speedy recovery from a very distressing experience. Yours sincerely, Philip. Blah. Oh, well, I suppose at least he apologised. <laughs> Is he going to pay for the surgery? Well, I would hope so. I hope she I'm, sues I'm them. sure there'll be a settlement. Uh, <laughs> do we really care? I just love seeing your face when I keep putting this story on our show notes. Um, okay, well, Carol. Well, I, <laughs> I did reveal that back in the 50s he had a reputation for this, and it turned out to be I true. Know, you did. You're on the, the money. The 3AW talk, Talkback Caller all those years ago. Well, yes, good good info, inside info. What's your GLT, Caro? Well, I did mention Marie Kondo, who this time next year, according to Anna from the Op Shop, will be a verb. Um, I am never going to condo my wardrobe. Well, a lot of our friends are doing just that, Corrie. And this condo, is, condo, condo. This, this of course, is, da, 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 is the da, da, Japanese da, da. guru. If, if you look in your wardrobe, Corrie, and it doesn't make your heart sing, this particular piece of clothing, out it goes. And according to our friend Mary, you have to personally farewell every item. Thank it. And say goodbye. Oh, that's bullshit. This is in the text. This, this, well, oh, thank you, old fluffy slippers. I've got to say, the girls what who are doing it, it are, are very happy. Mental. Um, but that is not my good local tip. My good local tip is there are lots of pieces of, of clothing that don't make my heart sing, but I know that I need them. Well, you know, like a woolly jacket in winter or. My Hawthorne no. beanie. No, well, that'll make your heart sing. Or only if we win, yeah. Yeah, well, no, but that, that's a bad example. No, you, it's something that, look, I bought this dress. It was a, it was a big ticket item. I never really, it never really quite worked. So you it pull never, it out of the cupboard and you say, goodbye. Off you, no, but you have to, you said you have to say nice yeah, things to thank it. If you, you didn't, thank you for the time you've spent in my wardrobe. No, anyway, but if it, if it, you've never worn it. You've never done anything positive. We are positive. getting off going, track. Get 
Oh, get out, blind spot. Get Thanks. out. And I, and I can't believe I'm accessing Anna from the op shop again. In fact, on her birthday. Oh, Happy, birthday Happy birthday, Anna. Happy birthday, Anna. She we, should um, be on the show today. Well, she says, about it so much. she says that thanks to Marie Kondo, the book obviously was popular, but the, the Netflix show has meant that people have become ever. I mean, what a great thing to become the guru for clearing out your wardrobe. What a great, I mean, what a perfect oh, thing to I latch on to. I could think of other things. I'd, I'd like well, to be Caroline Wilson, the chief people, people of Melbourne. People over summer. Especially with your salary. Have Marie condoed and what they've done is they've taken all this stuff to op shops. And you know how I said you've got to go to op shops in the new year when people are clearing out? Well, no, forget the new year. It's na- it, It's two weeks later, I'm telling you, op shops as we speak, as we sit here today, are full full of fabulous stuff that has been t- thrown out. And I know I said this two weeks ago. I know it was a good local tip two weeks ago, but I was wrong. It's actually happened again now. You have a whole now. lot of listeners out there who are very perplexed now. Oh, no, my God, well, I went the wrong week. No. But I, if you remember. Fleur oh, Shaw our- Jones might have got her, her amazing snow monkey outfit um, in um, – at a garage sale. But I don't I'm, think she'd want to be it referred to as a snow monkey outfit to you. No, she was visiting snow monkeys in Nagano. Um, that's where Caroline, the photo is taken. if you recall on the uh, walking WhatsApp group, I did say that, Anna, uh, I've got to remind me I have a box of clothing for you to take to the op shop when I see you tomorrow. Yes. So I'm doing exactly what you say. So yep. don't think I don't listen to your good local tips. Don't Caroline. think I won't be going through that box before I give it to Anna. <laughs> You'll pay full price. Well, anyway, um, I'll, I'll move on to a sensible local tip, but I am obsessed, given that we're not buying anything in February, we are, are allowed to buy things from op shops and garage sales. And if you can't access, if you can't condo via Netflix, you can condo via her couple of books uh, that are at all good bookshops. They we can are, buy books because they're not a luxury item, they're a necessity. Correct. Thank you. Now, Caro, that was a lovely episode. Thank you to our lovely producer, Miss Jane, for putting up with our crap once again. Uh, if you liked Don't Shoot the Messenger, we would love you to tell your friends and family so they can subscribe to our podcast and even rate and review us because that helps other people to find us. Um, we do pop up on a number of different venues, including Facebook, and this week we had a few lovely comments again on the Don't Shoot the Messenger Facebook page, including one from Fiona Keeley who said, since recommended by my friend Linda Danvers, you have been wonderful company on my walks oh, in Linda. Kalgoorlie, hi Linda, Kalgoorlie, Perth, Ulverstone, Turner's Beach, Devonport, Taz, Dalesford, Sydney, and now on a beautiful beach at Bustleton, WA, and she gets around, um, which she says is my new home. Thanks for all the topical discussions and especially the BSF section. I look forward to each new podcast and your tips on all and sundry. Congratulations. And P.S. Corrie, you have better tips than Caro. No, I just put that here. <laughs> um, I would just like to send out a plug for uh, the book pod, our latest episode, which is about to drop. I'm having a chat with the award-winning historian and writer, Dr. Claire Wright. So you'll find links to that episode on our Facebook page and our show notes, or you could just simply subscribe to the book pod. And remember, Caro and I love hearing from you all. Uh, you can email us at feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. You can follow us on Instagram at don'tshootpod and that's our twiddle ha- Twitter, twiddle, <laughs> Twitter handle as well. <laughs> and we love getting the messages that way because they're often quite short and succinct and it's nice to know that you're all following us. We're almost up to the thousand marks so keep going everyone. And, Carol, I hope you have a lovely week. No uh, interstate trips this week? No, but I might be catching up with our old friend Kevin from Geelong this week. I'm heading down to Geelong. 
could you tell him that he has to be a bit nicer to me in 2019? <laughs> well, we'll stop upsetting him, Corrie. <laughs> what do we say, Carol? Don't shoot the messenger. <laughs>